Yes, what do you say? Hi, everyone, and welcome to Conversations with Bacon. It's great to have you here. I hope you're having a great week and a great life and everything's just tickety-boo in your world. Uh, a couple of quick things before we get on with our guest today. So, as usual, you can uh, find the latest episodes of this show at johnabacon.com slash conversations or, of course, in your favorite podcasting directory. And I would always love to hear feedback about the show and people who you think we should get on. Um, I've had some great emails recently about this. Uh, you can send those to conversations at johnabacon.com. And then the other thing as well um, is that my new book, People Powered, How Communities Can Supercharge Your Business Brand and Teams, is going to be out in November. Go and find out more about that at johnabacon.com slash peoplepowered. So anyway, enough about any of that. I want to bring on a good friend of mine uh, and a wonderful human being, Mary Thingval. How are you doing, Mary? Hi, Jono. I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. So let's quickly spin through the rap sheet of your experience. So uh, I think I first met you... Uh, when you were at O'Reilly, um, and you were yes. there for quite some time, about eight years, uh, and you were mm-hmm. a community manager and a publicist there, and I used to see you at countless events, many of which uh, O'Reilly yep. were running. Uh, and then you moved on to be a community builder at Chef, and then on to SparkPost, where you were a community manager. Um, and you've been also running the DevRel Weekly, which is a pretty neat uh, mm-hmm. little uh, little publication, which I want to kind of get into a little bit later on. Uh, but for the last few years, you've been running your own consulting practice focused on DevRel services called Persea Consulting. Um, and it's been Thank really cool to kind of watch the work that you've been doing there. And it would be remiss if I didn't mention, of course, that you wrote the book, The Business Value of Developer Relations, which is published by A-Press. That came out in October last year. And you were very kind to uh, ask me to write a forward for it. So uh, it's great to have you on here. You're a bit of a DevRel guru. So... <laughs> Why don't, oh, thank we, you. why don't we why don't we start at the beginning because I think a lot of people who are listening to this will potentially know what DevRel is they'll understand mm-hmm. de- the concept of developer relations like there are developers and you build relations with them but how do you see it in your in your mind how do you define it Sure. So the the simplest way that I define it is that developer relations is community building for technical audiences. And it's as easy as that, right? Right. Just like um, if you're building a photography community, you need people who know something about photography. When right. you're building a relationship and a community around developers, you need people who have experience with developers. So mm. that's the big differentiator is that we have a few different roles, uh, community managers being one, developer advocates being another, which tend to be people who come from a developer or engineering background who bring right. more of that expertise to the table. Right. And, and you know, when I look through your your history, I mean, there's always been a very common community component to it. But um, I forget mm-hmm. where it was. It was like a college that you went to or something like that. I think you maintained like a, like a yearbook or something like that that you worked on. Uh, so obviously yeah. there's been a publishing element to this as well. What has mm-hmm. led you down the road increasingly of, to obviously now towards developer relations? What, like, what is it that ignites you about it? No pun intended. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so I actually had for years wanted to be a journalist um, mm. and really had a passion for telling people stories and uh, finding solutions to problems and connecting people and all of those types of things. Right. Um But when I went to graduate from college was right around the same time that a lot of the newspapers around the country were laying off their writing staff because Mm. blogs were picking up and social media had just launched straight. Facebook came out while I was in college. And so the newspapers were having a hard time justifying as big of writing staffs as they had. Right. Um, 
And my dad kind of sat me down and went, so you either need to put your nose to the grindstone and really, really start working hard at making this dream come true, or we need to figure out plan B and what that would look like. Right. And there was actually an internship available at O'Reilly. And I grew up in the town just over in Santa Rosa. Mm. Um, and so I took the internship at O'Reilly in their PR and marketing department and realized that what they were looking for really was someone to write formal articles, right? Technical, right. technical writing type of things. Um, and I wound up writing press releases for their books as they were being released. Right. And so when I graduated, I went ahead and took the job there. And as I was doing those things, my journalism side still had a big influence on me. I was still, you know, researching all of the topics and really interested in, well, how did we decide to write about this and not this thing? And how do we know that this is what we want to be doing yeah. and that these yeah. are right topics to resonate with people? And kept asking all of those questions to everyone in my department. And mm. when no one in my department had those answers, I went to the marketing department and no one had answers. And I went to the editors and was kind of just that um, really annoying young 20-something <laughs> new professional going, well, but why? But why aren't we doing this? Yeah. And who's doing this? And someone needs to be doing right. this. And but these are great Laura questions Baldwin. to ask, right? <laughs> exactly. And right. and it was really frustrating to me as a as someone who cared deeply about how do we know that we're doing the right thing and how do we know that we're actually meeting people's needs and that we're featuring the right topics that we weren't actively pursuing those questions. Mm-hmm. So Laura Baldwin, who's our president, uh, pulled me into her office one afternoon and was basically like, look, you have these questions they're good questions. No one knows the answers. And you're right to still be asking them. So like, you now report to me, here's your budget for the year, go figure out what it is that you do, go figure out what you want your title to be, go figure out how you're going to structure this. And let me know. How did you, how did you react (laughs) to that conversation? Because I can imagine a lot of people be thinking, oh, damn. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's about accurate. Um, and I mean, we obviously, it was a, it was a much deeper conversation yeah. than that, but that was kind of the, was the, gist the TLDR. Of it. Right. And I think I walked out of it and kind of went, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I wasn't really sure what I was expecting when I was asking all these questions. This, this wasn't it, mm. but also just the realization that that's such an incredible opportunity, right? That oh yeah. Yeah. Laura, who's our president, had the foresight to pull me aside and go, you know what? These are good questions. No one else has time for it. You're passionate about it. You have the energy for it. Right. Go do that thing. So what what happened next then? How how did you, given that uh, quite significant mantle handed over to you, how did you, (laughs) how did you utilize it? So honestly, the first thing that I started with, I was kind of tasked specifically with the DevOps audience because DevOps was brand new at that point, right? People were asking questions about it and trying to figure it out. And we had a couple. And what year was this? So just so people can get a sense of like the era of this, was this kind of like 2007 Um, sort of something like that? Probably more like 2009, 2010. Okay. So super early on, but like early velocity, you know, was a brand new conference for us. That whole project area was a brand new area for us. And so I honestly went into our CRM and went, cool who's interested in these topics, who's reviewed books on these topics, who's spoken at our conferences about these topics, and then went by geographic area. Where is the largest contingent of this 
of this group of people located. And so I started doing these, you know, week long trips, three, four day trips to these different cities around the States and would basically just send out a blanket email, all these people and say, Hey, I'm going to be in town. I'd love to sit down and talk to you, learn about what topics you're interested in, learn about what you're involved in, what concerns you have, all of these things. And would just, you know, have these days full of, breakfast meeting, coffee meeting, lunch meeting, coffee meeting, dinner right. meeting, and was basically fueled with coffee that entire time. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of like a kind of a, a listening tour of sorts, just trying to listening, learning, figuring out what people want, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, right? Yeah, and taking a lot of notes. So right. I have these little notebooks still that I have that have, you know, here's the first time that I met uh, Mandy Wall. Here's mm. the first time that I met, you know, all of these different people right. for, you know, these geographic areas. And then I, on my way home, would write up these trip reports of here's the themes that I'm seeing, here's the patterns that I'm noticing. Here's the topics that keep coming up that we don't have any content about. Right. Um, here's the concerns that people have, you know, the problems that they're facing, all of these types of things that I then would send to our editors and our conference chairs to help them kind of guide the direction that we were heading in with those topics and with the future of that overarching practice area at O'Reilly. Right. Awesome. And, and I'm presuming they were pretty receptive to those reports right because this is like tremendously mm-hmm. valuable data on what people actually want right, right? so yeah. did they just did they take that and start factoring in like did you find them like actually you know making adjustments based upon that kind of work that you did at times yeah awesome. and a lot of times it was the connections that i was making that were almost more valuable than the content that i was bringing back Right. Because Frank, I was still learning about DevOps. I didn't know that much. So I was learning about it as I was learning what questions to ask and what people to talk to. And so then I'd come back and say, hey, this person who wasn't on any of our lists would love to talk to everybody else. Or, you know, Mandy introduced me to this person or right. um, Nathan introduced me to this person. We should totally be talking to them. And so then I'd make intros to the various people throughout O'Reilly who would then pick up those conversations and run with new authors, new speakers, new venues for events and everything else. That's awesome. So between O'Reilly and what you're doing now, there's, like I mentioned mm-hmm. in the intro, there's, you know, there was Chef and Spark Post especially. Um, right. Were they, you know, it sounds, it sounds like, I don't want to put words in your, your, in your mouth, Mary, but it sounds like you were kind of a little bit more on the general community side of things uh, with a focus on mm-hmm. DevOps. And then you've obviously transitioned pretty firmly into uh, DevRel and that's your area of expertise. How right. did that transition happen between Chef and SparkPost or through that sure. time? Yeah. So I moved over to Chef um, largely because I had gotten to know their community through all of my work with the DevOps community mm. uh, at O'Reilly and just loved the vision that they had, loved the people that I was around, loved how helpful and friendly everyone was, which mm. was awesome. Um, and my role kind of switched at Chef a little bit to be more internally focused. So rather than me being the one out there gathering all the intel, we scaled our very small team, which at the time was just Nathan Harvey and myself, um, to really utilize our engineers because Chef is a distributed company. And so if we knew of a great meetup that was happening in Atlanta, we'd email a couple of our Atlanta engineers and say, hey, would you be willing to go 
and then submit a trip report back so that we have that information and can kind of scale our efforts in a way that made sense and also got our engineers involved in their local communities so that it was no longer a, hey, I'm based in San Francisco if you want to have a follow-up conversation over video. It was, hey, go meet Alan for coffee down the street because you work two blocks from each other, right? Yeah, and how big was was the engineering time estimate around this time? Like how many people were you kind of... Uh, uh, that's a good question. So the company was around 200. We probably had 120 engineers, right. I would estimate. It's a pretty decent size of people that could potentially go out yes. and do that, right? And how did they respond All to that? the world. Because I found that whenever you ask engineers to do that, seven or eight times out of 10, people really enjoy doing that kind of stuff, right? Right, right. And I think we are particularly lucky at Chef, given that we're working on primarily open source products, people were already engaged in their communities. Mm. So it was really easy to say, hey, Sarah, you're down the road from Pittsburgh. Can you go present about this latest thing at this meetup, right? We've got a chef meetup organizer who isn't with the company, who needs more speakers. Can you go do this thing? Right. And so we we formed a lot of training programs in this almost uh, internal community building, internal developer relations training program. Yeah. Um, we had a lot of, a lot of, slide decks that people could use, a lot of speaking programs that people could kind of get trained up and more used to doing that. We had a full event in a box that I put together where, you know, if someone has an event that they want to sponsor that's local to them, they can fill out a form and then we send them resources to be on site and sponsoring on behalf of the company. Right. That's awesome. But for the most part, they were all really excited and being involved. Um, And the handful of times that we'd run into someone who went, "Uh, I'm really not comfortable being on stage, we'd go, (laughs) Totally fine. Totally fine. Would you be comfortable having a one-on-one conversation instead. Oh, right. yeah, no problem. So it kind of played to the strengths of the teammates that we had, and it worked really well. And when you did that kind of work, because one of the things that I get from a, a lot of my clients is, you know, how do I measure these kinds of initiatives and programs in mm-hmm. in companies? Um, right. How did you approach that at Chef? Like, how when when you had X number of developers who were receptive to doing this, and you it sounds like mm-hmm. you know you made it as as straightforward as possible for them to do it with existing materials and lots of guidance. How did you measure the, uh, the impact of that work? So measurement at chef was a constant question. (laughs) This was, uh, not just at chef, I suspect. (laughs) Oh yeah, definitely. This was 20, 2011, I guess. Um, so still fairly early in all of this. And a lot of what we were measuring was, you know, happiness of the the community, health of the community, um, how engaged were the community members in the various places we were asking them to be engaged, um, those types of things. And so it was an interesting experiment, um, but it was far less focused on, you know, how many people can we get internally to help out and far more focused on what's the impact that they have on the community. How much more feedback are we getting as a result? How many more engaged community members are we seeing as a result? Things like that. Yeah. And it's tricky, isn't it? Because with, with those kinds of measurements, uh, like this has struck me throughout my career too, that you've kind of got, um, there's the tangible things you can measure, right? Such as meetings that you have and attendees at a, at a meetup and, pull requests that go into GitHub and various other things. But then, of course, there is um, the intangible that you just mentioned. There is happiness and fulfillment and meaningful work and, you know, effective collaboration. What's your thinking about, like, when you're thinking about DevRel, about how you 
measure those two? Because they're two very different parts of the overall experience, right? How do you think about that? So it's interesting. Uh, this is a conversation I have often with my clients these days mm. because it's such a different answer depending on the company. And mm. there's a lot of frustration around that, right? Both on their side and on my side where right. they go, okay, what's, what's the metric we should track? And I go, well... Let's start with talking about what your overarching company goals are and then which goals the DevRel team can take from that and really contribute to. And then let's figure out what your work output would be and then drill down into, you know, measures of success and how to track that and the things you should be telling the board members from there. And they go, that's that's a lot of conversation. (laughs) (laughs) So it's been interesting because part of what I've been doing and and this term that I've kind of been experimenting with for this last year is this idea of um, taking a business metric that's already well understood across the company, most for the most part in most tech companies, and kind of turning it on its head and expanding the definition a little bit. So taking the definition of marketing qualified leads, which traditionally is, you know, I met so-and-so at a conference, we scanned their badge, they might become a customer. I verify that, you know, I as a marketing person verify that they might actually become a customer, they're a good fit, their company's a good fit, and pass them off to sales, Hmm. and my job is done. I go back to collecting more leads. And that definition of leads is mostly, you know, people who could potentially become customers down the road. And so I've proposed that we take that definition of leads and expand it to a community member who could be valuable to the company in some way. And then if you take that and say, okay, well then apply that to developer relations and make it DevRel qualified leads, then the things that we're doing on a regular basis, right? Those connections that I mentioned that I made at O'Reilly where, you know, hey, this person might be a great author. This person might be a great speaker. This person can give us fantastic feedback on the trends that they're seeing in the industry on a regular basis. Those are all leads that I can give to various coworkers throughout the company. Right. And so for any tech company, you know, the the community member that you meet who really just gets your product and understands your full tech stack, might be a fantastic engineer for your company. Right. Um, someone who writes great forum posts could absolutely contribute to your documentation or help out with your frequently asked questions or things like that. Right. Or use cases or product feedback or all of the above, right? Right. And so it takes something that we already do naturally, that connecting piece of our roles that usually is what draws so many people to developer relations, right? Because they love connecting people anyway. Yeah, yeah. And it actually puts a solid metric behind it that applies across all companies, that applies no matter what the company goals are, and allows people to put a metric behind something that they're already doing naturally. Got it. Which so I think is really important. So it sounds like your idea here is that it's essentially almost like a schema for for what a, lead, a, a real lead would look like. And then mm-hmm. as a DevRel professional is out there doing their business, they're speaking, they're, they're, they're writing, they're podcasting, they're doing whatever they do. Um, it's a way in which you can interface an output there into um, other parts of the, of, of the organization. So if you have this as a concept... Imagine somebody's out there and they they're at a conference and they um, they identify a, a DevRel qualified lead. Mm-hmm. What would be the next step in the process? How do they take that? Like the marketing team, as you mentioned earlier on, with your with your MQL example, would give that to the sales team, and that's a fairly 
Mm-hmm. That's a fairly uh, defined way in which many businesses operate. How would it work with, with this? Who, do, who would you hand that off to? Would it depend? So it would depend on where that community member fits into the broader spectrum, right? Got it, um, right. Whether they'd be a person to give good product feedback or whatnot. But I think one of the biggest missing pieces in this right now is so many DevRel teams and community teams as well don't keep track of their contacts in a CRM. And it's very mm. much viewed in the tech industry, at least, that CRM is for customers and for potential customers. Right. And if I put any contacts of mine in the CRM, the sales team is going to get a hold of them. Right. And so then you run into that issue of, well, no, 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 these are DevRel contacts, not sales contacts. And yeah, how do we handle them differently and everything else? Yeah, there's else. a bit of fear around this, isn't there? Because I've noticed this too. There do you, is. Do you think that fear is justified, Mary? Like, do you think... I think it is. I think it is in some companies because right. I've definitely seen both companies that I've been consulting with as well as companies that I've worked for where, you know, we've got, we had 20 fantastic conversations at a conference and those people wind up in Salesforce or whatever mm. your CRM is. Right. And, you know, five of those, maybe five is probably generous. Maybe three of them could potentially become customers right now. Right. And the other 17 are people that we're going to continue talking to because maybe they're thought leaders in this, in this field. Maybe they just are producing really great content and are really helpful to the greater community, whatever reason, but we want to make sure that we have their information and have a way to keep a hold of them. Yeah. But say, you know, say you wound up in that CRM Mm. And then suddenly our sales team is calling you saying, you know, hi, I'm with an email API service and you want to <laughs> automate the way you're sending your emails, right? <laughs> right? Right. Right. And five emails later, you're now sitting there going, I'm in their CRM because of Mary. And that suddenly ruins or potentially ruins our relationship. Right. Because now your impression is, well, I talked to Mary at the conference. She seemed like a great person. But she's handed my information off to sales for a product that I'm not even interested in right now Yeah. versus my being able to continue building a relationship with you. And maybe two years down the road, you join a large engineering company that, hey, look at that. We actually do need email automation software. Yeah. Let me call up Mary because I now have two years of history of building a relationship with her. And I know her and I trust her and I know she's going to steer me right and she's the first person that's top of mind that I should go back to. Right, right. So do you think that with your with the qualified leads, because I think it's a really interesting concept, and I think one thing when we had lunch uh, last week we talked about was mm-hmm. um, just standardizations of any kind of new industry is really important, and there's... There isn't as much standardization as we probably would like in not just in DevRel, but I think in any kind of community management and leadership. Um, right. But do you feel like if you can place suitable protections in place that you, that organizations should be tracking these kinds of, um, these kinds of potential members in there in, in some kind of CRM. And then secondly, how would you like the way salespeople operate, of course, is that when they, um, when they have a conversation with uh, a, a prospect, they update the log in that mm-hmm. entry with, I had a call, I had a meeting, I had coffee, whatever. Mm-hmm. So you can see a history of it. If you were to track it there, what kind of interactions do you think you should track in that system as well? Because obviously in communities, they can be sundry, right? Right. Absolutely. So to answer your first question, yes, I think things should be tracked in a CRM. Absolutely. Um, I think we need to figure out the proper, you know, 
boundaries to set up, whether that's, you know, if this is entered as a DevRel contact, sales doesn't even see it, right? So it's not even a question of, oh, should I contact that person or not? But yes, I think they need to be taken care of and and tracked in a way that can be verified later on down the road. Mm. Because I think there's so many teams that wind up in these weird situations where they are told by, you know, maybe their manager who's told by a C-suite individual who's told by the board, you have to prove value that this team contributed. And the team can rattle off off the top of their head, hey, you know, I talked to one of the Microsoft engineers about, you know, Azure and about integrating with Azure, and they passed us off to their manager who passed us off to their manager who signed the deal, right? And that's a $2 million deal a year, whatever. Yeah. But if that's not documented anywhere, those are just anecdotes and stories. And I am a huge proponent of anecdotal data, but unfortunately, many boards don't care. (laughs) Yeah. They want the actual raw numbers. They want the actual, you know, where is the DevRel team in the customer journey? Right. Where is the DevRel team in hiring success? Right. And so being able to document those handoffs, being able to document those leads as you pass them off to other people in the company is huge because then at the end of the quarter, when the manager comes back and goes, great, what's the the success that you've had as a result of your speaking engagements, of your blog posts, of your sample applications, all of these things, people can go back to their CRM and go, well, we passed off you know, 10 potential engineer or 10 potential employees to recruiting. We passed off five potential customers to sales. We passed off 10 potential bloggers to marketing. Here's what we did. Yeah. And then if we want to, we can follow up with the marketing and sales and recruiting teams and say, hey, how many of those actually became realized opportunities to use the sale term, yeah, sales right. term for it? Right. But how many of those actually panned out if we need to dig into that deeper value? But right. otherwise, it's it's just, you know, you're running around trying to come up with metrics for, right. well, we, our Twitter followers went up. It's like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. I mean, I think it's, I think it's super important to track this kind of stuff. So how would you keep those kinds of, those kinds of records up to date, you know, because mm-hmm. the big fear, of course, with any kind of CRM system is, is that these, is that you, you know, they become stale. So how would you track right. that? How would you approach that? So I think it just needs to become a part of the daily practice of the team, right? Mm. Um, I think making sure that whatever CRM you choose to use, that every teammate has access to it, whether it's a team login or a personal login, um, making sure that that application is available on their computers as well as on their phones. Mm. Because with as busy as developer relations professionals are, as much as we're on the road, whether it's in town getting coffee with community members or traveling, being able to jot a few quick notes into a database from our phone is huge. Whereas otherwise you're sitting there going, okay, when I get back to my computer on the plane, on the way home, I need to update (laughs) this record. And then maybe you don't have internet on the plane. And so then it's delayed until you get back to the office. Right. And there's more chance of it not happening. Right. But I think it's super important to record all of those things. So, right. Like, cool. John and I met up for lunch last week. We had a great conversation about standardizing the industry. Yeah. And it could just be that simple, right? A one right. line thing that shows that you're continuing the relationship. Right. And then if you do have a team login and if it's not a separate login, having something that denotes who made that note. So making sure you have some sort of, um, you know, hey, this came from 
Mary, and this was a result of this conversation on this date. So I could sign it with my initials. Right. I could sign it with my login, whatever it is. But making sure that that's kept track of so that when someone else goes, ooh, standardizing the industry, that's a really important topic for us right now. Let me go talk to Mary to find out what the conversation that she had was and how to follow up there. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. So one thing I'd like to get into a little bit here, because I think one of the elements of this that's really interesting, at least to me, um, is Mm -hmm. defining exactly what the like what DevRel really is. Like we, again, talked about this a little bit when we met up for lunch where we were saying different people have got different definitions of what DevRel is. And mm-hmm. there's there's kind of related terms here as well. Like there's there's community managers, there's, there's uh, developer evangelists, uh, there's directors of community. Um, there's all of these, you know, different, different terms. And I'd love to understand mm-hmm. a little bit more firstly about how you think about that. Um, and then secondly, the relationship between this role with other parts of an organization as well. So first of all, how do you think of DevRel? What do you see as the the primary, like what do you think is a day-to-day for a typical DevRel people, what they should be doing? And, and, and again, how you would measure success in that? Absolutely. So the, the typical day-to-day is difficult, uh, just like I think it is for any community mm. person, um, just because, you know, you're, you've got content creation and speaking engagements and conversations with community members right. or maintenance of a forum or social media accounts, whether the company or your personal ones for personal brand, all of that. But I think the, the overarching goal of developer relations is to empower developers, And it's this idea of making those developers more successful at whatever it is that they're doing, whether that's their day-to-day jobs, whether that's being more successful in integrating with the API that you're promoting, whether that's um, making them be able to better communicate with their coworkers and their fellow engineers, right? Hmm. And so this idea of empowerment has really struck a chord with a lot of people in developer relations because it kind of makes all of the other pieces fit nicely, right? right? So we might be empowering developers by sharing the latest things that uh, our company happened to build. We might be empowering developers by writing content about uh, good practices in our particular piece of the industry. Yeah. Or by connecting people, either community member to community member or community member back to our company and our coworkers. Yeah. And so all of the various pieces that could be within developer relations kind of fit under that larger umbrella. Right. I see. Got it. And how technical do you think people need to be? Because uh, I think there is a perception out there that um, that you need to be extremely technical to be mm-hmm. uh, in in developer relations, or you need to have at least been a developer in the in the past that's evolved, right. or, or, or not necessarily evolved, but just adjusted into this kind of into this kind of role. Mm-hmm. Where do you see the level of technical experience here? So that is a an ongoing debate <laughs> from a lot of people. Right, exactly. Um, It's actually a fascinating conversation that I get into on a regular basis because there's so many people who fall on the side of if you aren't technical, meaning if you haven't been a developer in a past life, Mm. if you don't have developer on your resume, if you haven't contributed to open source projects, to the code side of open source projects, you aren't qualified to be in developer relations. Mm. And they're saying this to me, Mm. to which I respond with, 
great. Well, I think we have a pretty good relationship and it seems like we respect each other a lot. Oh yeah, no, I fully respect your opinions on developer relations and everything that you've done for the industry. And I go, great. I don't have a developer background. Right. Like, I, I mean, I mentioned it there earlier in this podcast. I have a journalism background. Right. I have, you know, I had a minor in technical writing, but not computer writing, like manuals and press releases and yeah. like that side of like English technical writing. Right. And I mean, I can hack together a website because I taught myself when I got annoyed with Yahoo's plug and play versions of their websites when I was in high school. Um, so <laughs> right. like I can write some really hacky HTML. I can do markdown because of things that I've needed to learn over the years. I can kind of stumble my way through a very well-documented API and that's about the extent of it. Mm. But I can have high level technical conversations with people because as I mentioned before, as I was writing those press releases for O'Reilly, I didn't want to just regurgitate what was on the back cover of the book and the information that was on Wikipedia, right? That wasn't enough for me. Yeah, I, I wanted agree. to actually understand what I was talking about and know how Drupal relates to Python or know the difference between Java and JavaScript and right. all of those types of things yeah. that a lot of people who you know, just, you know, I need to write the press release or I need to write the marketing blog post might look over and not really care as much about the details, mm. but being able to know how all of that fit together was huge in my moving into this community manager role at first at O'Reilly, because I could sit down with someone at a conference who walked up to our booth to buy some books who went, Hey, so I am, you know, this type of developer and I'm interested in these topics and you don't have a book on this. Do you have something related? And I could instantly go, oh, yeah, right over here. These these three might yeah. be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And if you have further questions, like I'll sit down and Google the answers with you. But I know at least I have kind of a good mind map of where everything's connected and where everything fits together. Right. And I think that level of tech savviness is necessary mm. because you need to be able to understand where someone's coming from and understand, no, you're a JavaScript developer, not a Java developer. And no, those aren't the same thing at all in any way. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And understand, you know, what's the basics of open source and what does that mean when someone comes up and says, I'm an open source developer and you work for a completely proprietary product. What's the difference? How do, right. you, how do you relate to that person? What kind of conversation do you need to have? And how is that conversation going to be different from someone who walks up and goes, hey, I just have a need for your product. I don't care if it's open source or not. Let's move on. Right, right. And so you need to be able to have those that initial layer or two of conversation. Right. But I have never had any problem with you know, someone will get into the weeds with me about like, great. So I was using Drupal and I had ran into an issue with this line of code and I think I used the wrong brackets and I go, eh, I'm the wrong person. Right. Let me introduce you to yeah. my engineering coworker who can totally sit down with you or the developer advocate who has a developer background and right. can spot bugs in code and things like that, who is the better person to finish that conversation but that doesn't keep me from building a relationship with that individual and continuing to check back with them to see, how's your job? How are you doing? Right. Is there anything I can help with? What can I do for you in the future? So it, it reminds me a lot, actually, what you were just saying there around uh, at a previous company I used to work at, we had um, 
we had this woman join us as the, she was not the head of marketing, but she was in like a senior role in the marketing team. And she did not come from a tech background at all. And this was a tech company. Um, and I was introduced to her fairly early on. And, you know, we became really good friends. And in, in the early stages of her being at the company, she said, you know, I'm a little self-conscious about the fact that I don't come from this world. Um, and she went on to just intrinsically understand all the nuances of the products, of of, of the culture. Right. And she was mm-hmm. amazing. And, and it yeah. really, it was fairly early in my career. And it's one of the times when I discovered, to your point, Mary, that people can have really meaningful, impactful conversations and not necessarily come from that world um, directly yes. of being born and raised yes. in that world. Um, but there's a real talent to that, right? That not everybody's mm-hmm. good at that. Not everybody's good at being able to step inside of somebody else's shoes and, and understand mm-hmm. that. I guess the one question I have that relates to this is there's like the technology itself, um, like learning mm-hmm. the product and how it fits together and the APIs and, and those pieces. But then there's the culture of how developers think and operate and how they tend to approach mm-hmm. the world. Um, right. And sometimes it's difficult, I think, to understand a culture unless you've really been a part of it. How mm-hmm. would you approach that yourself? And what would you recommend to people to really soak up that cultural? Because I, I do believe that people can do it. Uh, I've seen right. people do it. How, what's the best way to, to, to soak that up, would you say? I think one of the ways that I did that early on in my career was the listening, right? Mm-hmm sitting down with people and saying, cool, I have two questions and let's go from there and see where it takes us. <laughs> right. And just really just sitting down and listening and soaking up everything and not being afraid to say, hang on, I don't understand. Right. I don't understand why that frustrates you and not in a, how dare you be frustrated, but in a like, no, genuinely, like when, um, when that piece of the product breaks, even though it's super easy to fix, why does that stall you for half a day? Right, and a lot and of people, a lot of people are afraid just, of of asking, like, yes. like I don't understand yes. this, or how does that work? Right. right? So, I right. guess there's an element of being vulnerable here, right? In in doing absolutely that, as, as you listen, absolutely. And I think some of the best developer relations professionals are empathetic, mm. which requires the, let me put yourself in my shoe or myself in your shoes. Right. Rather. You don't and want to put yourself in my shoes. Trust me. They're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I need new shoes. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a, there's an element of empathy and there's an element of vulnerability. And I right. think there's an interesting dichotomy of, you know, we are, we are in the tech culture and especially those of us who are based in Silicon Valley or San Francisco, where we have to prove ourselves, right? We have to be the best. We have to show that we're the best. We mm. can't ever show any cracks in the veneer. And yet this is a role that really requires you to be able to say, I don't know, tell me more, or mm. I don't know, let me go ask somebody else. And I think as I've gone through my, you know, 12 years in the industry, uh, before I started my business, I started to learn more about the idea behind um, the difference between technical and developer. Right. And so, I mean, for years, I had when when a lot of the women in tech groups started up, I had people approaching me, going, "Would you come speak?" And I'd go, uh, "No, I'm not technical." Right. And they go, "No." but you are right. I'm like, no, no, no. But like, I, I can't sit down and write code very easily. Like I can stumble through stuff if you give me a really great tutorial, but like, I'm not technical. Hmm. And I've learned to say, I don't have a developer background because that piece is true. But I think 
being able to declare, no, I'm, I'm technical, right? Like I can write Markdown, I can write HTML, I can stumble my way through CSS and JavaScript. I can figure out APIs or at least understand whether the documentation is easy to get through or not and right. give advice on where to go from there. Yep. And I think sometimes we're so scared to admit that we don't know things that we forget that a big part of building relationships is being vulnerable. Mm, huge. It's admitting we don't know everything. Please tell me more. Yep. And if we aren't willing to do that, then I think there's a huge gap between building that relationship and establishing that trust, which is so necessary for developer relations and community management as a whole. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And the thing is, as well as you bring an entirely different set of skills, right, than mm -hmm. many developers would have, right? right. So. It's the fusing together of these different pieces, in my mind, is, is, exactly. so, is so critical. So one of the things that I think is, is kind of misunderstood about developer relations from people who I've spoken to, particularly people who are, who are running companies, is where does it fit in? You know, like, where does it fit into the organization? Does it fit into the engineering side? Does it fit into the marketing mm -hmm. side? You know, right. does it like, how do you approach how do you approach that? And then how would like, if somebody goes out and hires a, a DevRel professional and brings them in, what can they reasonably expect in the first year? Mm -hmm. So as far as where someone fits in a department within an, within an established company, mm. uh, I have seen people in, I've seen teams in marketing, in product, in engineering, in customer success, they, they tend to kind of move and bounce around to a point where, you know, I've, I know friends who had four managers in a span of six months right? because they kept getting reorged. And the, the biggest problem that I see companies come up against is they bring on a developer relations person and they say, you're the expert. Tell us what we need to do. And you belong in marketing because you're helping out with awareness and you have to have these metrics because those are the marketing, marketing metrics and mm. you have to, you know, help marketing meet their goals because you're part of the marketing team. And the dev, DevRel person goes, uh, but didn't you just tell me that I need to tell you how to handle this right. and what metrics to track? <laughs> and so there's so much of this. I mean, honestly, it goes back to the vulnerability thing. There's so much of this overhead that the leadership thinks they have to have all the answers and know exactly what to do, that especially when they're joining as individuals, DevRel, professional, DevRel professionals have so little autonomy and so little decision-making power that they're asked to come in and gather feedback and contribute to the product and help spread awareness and talk to the community members and build this thriving, fantastic community that's going to make the company successful. Mm. And then they're not given the support that they need to do that. Right. Uh, there's actually a stat from, this is probably from three or four years ago now, uh, from David Spinks, who runs CMX. CMX, yep. um, Yeah. And the the statement, and I don't remember the exact statistic, but it was something like two-thirds or three-quarters of community teams that fail, fail solely because they don't have the internal support that they need. Mm. It's not that they aren't able to build a community. It's that internally at the company, they don't understand the value of it. And so they aren't given the resources. Right. So honestly, I think DevRel can succeed in any of those departments 
so long as they're given the autonomy to do the things that they're asked to do and they aren't pigeonholed into, well, you're in marketing team and the marketing team is responsible for X number of MQLs and you have to help drive that number. Right. Or you're in engineering and so you're required to submit this many lines of code by the end of the quarter or build this product or you're in customer success. You're required to offset the customer support team and help, you know, the community answer their own questions versus the the success team having to do that. Hmm. And I think when when companies don't understand the value that we can contribute, we get pigeonholed into those specific metrics, which then force us to change what we're doing and approach it from a different angle, which makes us not as successful. Right, right. And then once we're not as successful, the company goes, oh, well, but you're not being successful. So let's move you to a different team and give you their metrics right. and we'll see if that happens. And then that's when and you get the musical chairs of different managers. Right, right. right. And it's one of the most frustrating things to me. And it's actually one of the reasons why I started Per Se Consulting, because I was seeing so many of my personal friends, as well as colleagues across the industry that were just getting shuffled around. And these people who are so excellent at, you know, communicating technical topics well, or um, so good at mentorship or so good at making connections throughout the community being shunted into these different places right. simply because the companies didn't understand the value. Right. So I think, you know, if you're in the marketing department and the marketing team understands that lead generation is a part of marketing and brand awareness is a part of marketing and customer success and making sure that, you know, customers have a good experience when they come to the site is all a part of marketing, then great. Right. If you're in product and product understands that feedback loops and, you know, making sure that you've got data around that feedback and implementing the feedback and communicating that feedback to the community is an important part and just as important as making sure that engineering stays on track with the new features. Fantastic. Mm, mm. But you have to have distinct goals because DevRel isn't product. It's right. not marketing. It's not support. It's little pieces of all of those things, which makes it a unique entity right. into itself. And that actually neatly leads on to my next question, which is one of the things that I, uh, in a similar way, talk a lot a lot about um, in my work uh, with clients and just writing, whatever else, is that uh, building communities is a really fundamentally cross-functional um, element yes. of the business, right? It's um, mm -hmm. It does require a relationship with, with customer success, with product, with engineering, with your marketing team. And mm -hmm. those kinds of roles historically can can struggle in those kinds of businesses, I think, because it places the emphasis on the individual who's in that role to be able to manage all of those stakeholders and build a level of cohesion, right? And I, <laughs> one of the things that I've discovered is 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 getting uh, is getting people centralized around a plan and making sure everybody can see their reflection in that plan and they've got skin in the game. So it's not just, mm -hmm. oh, that's a thing that somebody else is doing. Right. Um, this it strikes me as a very very relevant to DevRel folks who, as you said, like uh, working on different pieces with these different teams. What would be mm -hmm. your guidance to someone who brings in a DevRel person into a company? Let's say, let's say that person comes in through the head of marketing and they initially mm -hmm. report into the marketing team, or that's the plan, mm -hmm. um, and they struggle with some that individual struggles with some of this cross functional work. How would you? What would you recommend to that person to support that DevRel professional to be more successful in in, in building those cross-functional alliances there? 
Yeah. So I think anytime you've got a, a single person who's leading the DevRel initiative, it can mm. be difficult to know who to connect with and right. where your time is best spent, right? And part of that struggle is maybe not knowing who the various people are throughout the company. Right. And so something that I always tell new DevRel professionals is, you know, your first few weeks on the job, you should be learning about the product and learning the people in the company. Yeah. Um, one of my good friends, Kara Souls, is over at Puppet. She's been doing community oh, there she's for awesome as Cara. like seven years now, right? Yeah. And I love, this was probably two years ago that she told me this, and I was just astounded because of how big of a company that Puppet is. But she, for the first few years that she was there, I think it was like every week, had a one-on-one with a different person in the company mm. with no particular agenda other than just... Let me get to know you and who you are and what you do and what your function is and for you to get to know me and what I do and what my function is. Right. And then as new people were joining the company within their first couple of weeks, she'd do the same thing and have this one-on-one conversation with them to introduce herself and yeah. find out you know, how she could support them and what she could do. Mm. And I think having those types of conversations, and it's not always necessary to do with every single person across the company, yeah. but, but the, having the general those spirit conversations- of that. Right. Right. And understanding, cool, here's what product has on their plate and here's what they're struggling with. Right. Or marketing is really struggling with reaching the technical audience and they've been given a new initiative that they have to have a blog post out every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Like, how can you help? Mm. What community members might be willing to write those blog posts? What content can you at least suggest? Or maybe you can help them find a freelance writer to help write some of them. But getting to know, you know, head of engineering, head of product, head of sales, head of support, and learning what their struggles are, and then figuring out, great, you know, I can't meet all of their needs at once, obviously, but here's the ways that I can facilitate other people to meet those needs, or here's the, you know, the five minute video demo that I can record for sales so that they know how to have a technical conversation with a new customer. Right. Right. Or the FAQ that I can update based on the five most popular questions that supports getting every week. Yeah. And so facilitating those types of questions. So I think as a manager, if you're hiring a new DevRel professional, making sure that you are facilitating those introductions, Mm. then you are really, you know, send an email to those heads of departments and say, hey, we have a new DevRel professional who is doing this and this and this. And here's their main focus areas, but we'd also love for them to help your team in any way that they can. And here's their experience and here's the value that they provide. Yeah. And that last piece, I think, is the most important, exhibiting to the rest of the company that you know their value and that you value that that piece that they right. bring, right? That you truly understand not just, hey, developer advocate was a checkbox item that we had to fulfill, (laughs) but we actually value their contributions and we value their voice because they are a conduit to this community that we're trying to serve. Yeah, Yeah, it makes makes a lot of sense. So I know we're um, we're kind of pulling into the to the end of this, uh, and this is just so fa- it's always fascinating talking to you, Mary. You, I think you've got so much so much interesting experience and insight to share. But um, what do you think is next? Like, I mean, you've obviously been um, uh, involved in DevRel for for a while, uh, a long time now, and this is a, an ever evolving uh, profession and an industry. Mm-hmm. If you were to paint 
your magic wand, paint your magic <laughs> wand. That makes no sense. If you were to wave your magic wand, there you go. <laughs> when metaphors go bad, um, <laughs> what would what what do you th- two two parts to this question? What do you think is going to happen in the next three years or so, and what would you like to see happen in the next three years or so? Sure. Uh, so that first piece, what do I think is going to happen? I mean, I've been doing this consulting for almost two years now. Mm. And in that small amount of time, I have seen things just explode in a huge way for the DevRel industry. Mm. There are so many open job opportunities. There are so many companies that are finally realizing we really do need a community. We really do need to build this community presence. Yeah, And it's just... I mean, it's it's growing right alongside the the tech industry in general, right? And it makes sense, right? We've got so many more companies that are not, you know, B two B or B two C, but are more B two D, as in developers, right? Right. And so, as those companies are growing, there's an increasing need for people who can kind of bridge that gap between marketing and product and engineering and success, and really facilitate those conversations. So I definitely see it growing more. Um, I see it being able to actually come into its own and say, here's the value we bring to the table and here's what we contribute. Right. And I think that's going to be a huge piece as we start to define a few more of these standard metrics across the industry. Um, I also see it just becoming more standardized as a whole, right? Mm. Like, a community manager for developer relations does this. A developer advocate does one of these types of things. A uh, developer evangelist is more on the let's set the stage for why this product is important in the broader industry right, right now. You know, so defining those roles in different ways. Right. Um, and I also see it growing as as its own division in companies, right? Hmm. So I'm seeing more directors of developer relations, more VPs of developer relations. Um, IBM, I think it was, just a couple months ago, um, promoted one of their internal folks into a chief community officer, I hmm. believe it was, chief chief developer advocate, chief something along those lines. Right. It was one of the first times that I've seen a C-suite role with that title right. um, and those types of responsibilities. And so I think it's really coming into its own as people are starting to understand, no, there's there's really something to this and we don't have to depend on the immediate ROI, but yeah. it's important yeah. to maintain these relationships. That's awesome. Um, if I could paint a magic... If I could, I'm now I'm stealing no, your analogy. Sorry, my, my, my um, idiocy is rubbing off on you. <laughs> if I could wave a magic wand and, yeah. and change things immediately, I think the biggest thing that is still slowing us down is the board members not understanding the value and the C-suite individuals not understanding the value. Right. So there's a lot of us who have been doing work on the you know individual contributor side, and yes. management is kind of starting to get it now. And the fascinating thing that I've seen over this past year is I now have probably four or five different VC firms in my personal CRM um, that you know aren't necessarily customers of mine, but who are I'm in constant conversation with around here's the trends. Here's right. why this is important. Here's the important information that you need to know to pass along to your portfolio companies, because I think we have to have the information and the resources coming from both directions. Right. And I think that's 
starting to happen and I wish it were happening more quickly. <laughs> right. But I think that's, that's coming. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing that I'm looking for in this next year or so is really just helping, helping all levels of management understand it so that when the company goes to the board meeting, the board isn't asking what's the ROI on that event, but they're asking, you know, what's the longer term goals? How are you seeing those longer term goals pay out now? What are you working toward in the future? And understanding that it really is a long tail journey with these quick wins that pop up along the way. Right. No. Awesome. Awesome. Good stuff. And I have one final question, which I think may be one of the most important questions to ask you throughout this. So for for, for people looking in on this world of DevRel, they see a lot of avocados. (laughs) What's the genesis of this? Sure. So when I was at SparkPost, which was, it's an email email API company here in San Francisco, um, and I was helping them kind of try and figure out what developer relations is and why they needed a community and how to build that. And we had one of our project managers who had a hard time saying developer advocates when she got to talking quickly. Right. And our current team name at that point, I think, was developer advocacy. And so we'd get in conversations with her and it would wind up being developer avocados that she would say instead. And we'd all laugh about it. Right. And kind of keep going. And we eventually went, you know what? That's a more fun team name than developer advocacy. Let's be the developer avocados. Right. And we eventually got so many questions internally about like, okay, hang on avocados. Really? Like you're both probably on the (laughs) millennial generation, like higher end of that area. But like, what's the deal? There's gotta be something more. And we finally came up with this analogy that kind of worked internally to help our coworkers better understand what our roles were and what the value was that we provided. And it was this idea of, you know, as a, as an industry, we are viewed as a fairly expensive industry, right? We're constantly flying places. We're giving talks at conferences. We're sponsoring events. We're sponsoring open source projects. We, we have a hefty budget. Right. And so, you know, a, a, another way to say that would be to say we're a fatty department. Right. But if we're used in the right ways, in the right times, and with the right combinations of other items, we can be the good kind of fat, Right. Because we can be healthy for both the community as well as the ah. company and help the entire industry forward. It all becomes clear. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know about the, the fatty bit. I didn't know that. Right. I, 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 yeah. I, I remember asking you about this years ago and you're like, uh-huh. dude, advocate, avocado, figure it out. <laughs> well, and so, and that's been a big part of it too. And it's been funny since, you know, and I published a super short blog post about it a couple of years ago, but as more and more people have become aware of it, I've heard from other people like, oh, well, here's the eighth reason why, you know, avocados are like, or advocates are like avocados and all of these things. And it turns out in French, the word for avocado is the same as the word for advocate, which is also the word for lawyer. Oh. And so there's this whole idea of like, no, we're advocating on behalf of this developer audience. And wow. that word lines up with avocado as well. So, of course, of wow. course, we're developer There's avocados. all kinds of meaning wrapped up in that. you got to be careful because people are going to think there's like some kind of Illuminati and people are going to be seeing yeah. shapes <laughs> and everything. Well, Mary, it's always a pleasure to to chat to you. And, you know, the fact that we can record this and other people can listen to it is always a lot of fun. So thank you for coming on and, uh, and all the best for the future. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.